God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the, the strength to change things I can, and the wisdom to hide the body of those people who have pissed me off. Well, it's another wonderful day here in existence. Hi, Cynthia. I'm so excited to have you here. So what's what's going on? How are you? Oh, I'm not doing too bad. Uh, thank you, first of all, for having me on the show. I've been wanting to join you for a while now. I'm so glad to have you. This week is, uh, so Thursday is, is International Trans Day of Visibility. And so I thought that um, I don't like that it's just one day. So I'm going to take this whole week and it's ours. And then every day after that is also ours forever. So bye, everyone. We're just like never leaving because we exist. So I thought that this week I would just take some time to spend with my lovely friends and just uh, have as many conversations as I can get out. So I'm so glad to have you, Cynthia. Thank you for being here. Well, again, thank you for having me. So some stuff has happened recently. Uh, So much has happened. (laughs) I originally wanted to talk about um, Leah, which we'll get to, but uh, lately something else happened. Uh, Some comedian, I don't even know his name, made made fun of, of... Jada Pickett Smith, and it wasn't funny. And Will Smith came up and slapped the, the hell out of him, and and now the whole world, my whole Facebook is full of this this stuff. And I want to know what you had uh, to say about that, Cynthia. What's what do you think? you what do you think about that? I just could not believe that. I know who you're talking about. Uh, the person who uh, made the insult was Chris Rock. Oh, that guy. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, the person who did the slapping was Will Smith. And I had to sit down and watch the video uh, numerous times because it made me laugh so hard because he just walked up there and I'm not kidding. He just walked straight up to him on the stage and just slapped him in front of everybody. I think that's incredible because Chris Rock is just smiling. He's looking like, yeah, what's going on? And then bam, I mean, you know, it should go to show, you know, we, we have all these folks out there talk about accountability and then cancer culture. And then it's like, I'll beat your ass. I'll say whatever I want. And then it's like, this guy says whatever he wants. And then like this guy gets his face beat. Cause like, you just can't say whatever you want. I mean, you can say whatever you want. Sure. By all means, but you're going to get bitch slapped, honey. If you think you're just going to say whatever you want. Pretty much. Yeah. You, you legal, legally, you have the right to say what you want, but that doesn't mean you can actually do it and not get, uh, how can I say suffer the, the consequences of those actions? Right. So um, with that, do you act like, how do you handle like the people that talk about all oh, violence isn't the answer? What do you think about that response? Violence is, do you like hearing that violence is no, the answer? Unfortunately, history shows that violence is, it, it is an answer. It is because, an answer. Yeah, it is an answer. It, we, we not the answer we like, but it does work. If we look at just, uh, I'll give you uh, two examples. World War II. Uh, we didn't ask Hitler to leave. We forced Hitler out. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you the second example um, of why I believe violence sometimes works is because a long time ago, my grandfather was a small town sheriff. And every Saturday night, there would be this guy who would physically beat his wife. They go down there. They arrest the guy on Monday morning. She you know, go to the courthouse saying, I love him. I love him and drop the charges. 
And this cycle would go on for a couple months. And sure enough, Saturday night would come around. The guy gets drunk, beats his wife. My grandfather goes down there, puts the guy in, in the a squad car, takes him back to the jail. While he's processing this guy, he says to my grandfather, and I quote, that he's nothing without his badge and gun. So my grandfather took off his uh, badge, took off his gun belt, stepped into the cell and said, prove it. Needless to say, what I will tell you this is that they got no more complaints about domestic violence at that guy's house anymore. My daddy or my stepdaddy told me that when I was a kid, he was like, if you just beat these kids ass, they'd leave you alone. I was like, no, I just talked to you. And look, it fucking it screwed me up. So um, now you live out there in South Dakota, isn't that right? Out there, Black Hills somewhere, Black Hills, Dakota, South Dakota. Now, Dakota happens to be one of those 29 uh, lovely states that happen to be passing anti-trans legislation. But um, yeah, but there happens to be a few other states, such as Texas and Florida, that are really the big focal points of this um some reason straight people's debate on on my life but uh it's happening so i I want to know what you thought about some of these things that are happening with these uh anti-trans legislations being uh being passed i think they're horrendous to me they're not uh, only against trans people but they're against the american uh way of life if we just start with uh texas being the primary you know how can we say trendsetter uh about a couple of weeks ago, they passed uh, basically, you know, saying that um, if a parent gives their trans kids uh, gender affirming um, medicine or treatment, they can actually be arrested for child abuse. Now, how does that make you feel considering that the science has backed up that this gender affirming health care for our youth and everyone is safe? Not only is it safe, but yeah, you got numerous studies, numerous scientific uh, doctors and scientists are backing this up. And it just angers me because they're not they're just doing this because it's easy to pick on trans individuals. uh, We're being, you know, demonized for nothing other than just being alive and their way of how can we say this is to pass laws, pass legislation that basically says, you know what, you're not even a person. We don't give you any rights. You don't have the right to be who you are unless we say you are. And that's wrong. How does a party that advocates personal freedom, liberty, responsibility, be so invasive on American people's lives. I mean, this party, specifically the Republican Party, advocates that they're the party of personal freedom and liberty, yet they're imposing these these laws that are somehow protecting everyone else, yet invalidating certain people. So where how's that? So really, okay. I'm going to skip that, and I'm going to say that our our featured our, our uh, fellow guest, recurring guest Lucy says it like it is it's not that they're not willing it's not that they don't understand or that they don't you know they don't see us as human beings and that's the point that's it they don't care they don't think that we're worth a damn and they think that we're evil and you saw it uh we read the republican platform you and i previous on conversation and it was it literally said the far left to stop that and that literally uh as much as we we have our opinions on the democratic party and how they really are failing the american people just as much as the republican party is um 
at least they're not um, so blatantly anti-trans, you know, at least they'll slap a sticker on while they be doing what they do. But uh, so here are some responses to common arguments regarding uh, harmful anti-trans bills. I'm not transphobic. I just care about fairness. In the Women's Sports Foundation 2020 report, uh, Chasing Equality, or equity a, on barriers to sport for women, the inclusion of trans women is not mentioned once. Trans women do not threaten the fabric of women's sports. Excluding and attacking trans women does. That is, so many folks don't care about sports or fairness until a trans woman wants to play. And then suddenly they are massive sports fans. If folks truly want to become or bring fairness to the f- forefront, they fight against they fight against the main barrier to access, uh, the main barrier to access for sports, socioeconomic disparity, often intertwined with systematic oppression, such as racism. And beyond that, one step further, uh, South Dakota Senate. This is very interesting because you're in South, you're in South Dakota. So South Dakota Senate just passed HB2 or HB1217. Mm-hmm. You're familiar? A bill that will ban trans girls from competing in sports and require all kids competing in sports to disclose their genetic and reproductive biology to the government. This is an agrarious violation of bodily autonomy. Call Governor Christine Noem. Tell her to veto HB 1217 now. Her phone number. You ready for this? Governor Christine Noem. That's how, is that how you say it? Yeah, unfortunately, that's how you say it. No. So 605-773-32112. That is one of our representatives of this country. Governor Christy Noem of South Dakota. Her state is trying to pass anti-trans legislation, and we don't stand for that. It is an, uh, a barbaric attack, as you as you stated. So with this week being so ugh, just so awful, what do you think we should do going forward? What's what's our response as a community going to be to to this awful attack on our community that we've seen recently? First, I think we have to let everyone know that attack on trans people is an attack on everybody. Mm. Okay. And if we look at history and if we go back to World War II and we look at how the Nazis were starting to systematically eliminate this group of people, then this group of people, then this group of people, we can easily see a parallel right here in this country. Because what happens hypothetically when they pass all these laws? Let's say they get rid of all trans people. They put us into cages or kill us. Who's um, next on that list? Uh, you know, it's fascinating to think about the history of Nazism because one of the things that they actively did was they erased uh, gender and sexual orientation, like history and information and medical history and medical science in regards to transgender people. And they are the reason why we are so far behind in scientific understanding of things like this. And so when you bring up that, that, you know, they did that, or, you know, you're bringing up today, you know, when will they, when will they, you know, put us in cages? Well, that's the thing that the Nazis did, except they used eugenics and and blamed uh, Jewish people for their problems. And what we're seeing today is on the GOP's website, it says the far left is the problem. And that's, 
very similar to hearing Germany saying the problem is the social democratic Jewish left party. And they're saying that the Democrats liberal, you know, this just gender expression is the problem. And with these laws being put in place, how far uh, is it they're going to go until they erase us from, from society and, and we're no longer able to participate. And at that point, I, I would like to then ask, well, why did you continue to support that party? Oh, I am not big government. I'm small business and I'm not for to big to blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, but your party did what our future could very well look to be. And it's similar to that of a certain decade in the, in the 20th century. And it just goes to show who's the next group. Because if the hypothetical situation is, if we are eliminated from the equation, either by law, by, you know, being put in cages or God forbid, I never want this to happen through extermination. Who's the next group they're going to go after? Is it going to be, you know, Muslims? Is it going to be people who aren't white, for example? Is it going to be people who are of non-Christian faith? Well, let's start with the basics. My uh, name is Cynthia Grace. I am from the Black Hills of South Dakota. I am 45 years old. Currently, uh, right now, I am an actress, drag queen, burlesque performer. I currently work as a night auditor at one of the local hotels. And probably the most important thing is I am a human being. We love that. Well, I'm so glad to have you here. So tell me a little more. You told me earlier that you had just started as burlesque. What's that about? Uh, That is something um, a friend of mine recommended I uh, started to do. And for those of you who don't know what burlesque is, it's a style of uh, basically uh, dance and removing of clothing to where you're just down to basically like a G-string and pasties. This form of entertainment has been around for hundreds of years. It's been kind of underground establishments, you know, in the bigger cities. And then it just kind of grew slowly to where it's now mainstream. Hmm. What led you to that? Was that your acting career that led to that? Actually, um, my uh, yes, it did. As a matter of fact, that's a good way of putting it. Cause uh, I just started my acting career uh, in December. Uh, a friend of mine recommended that I try out for a role in my local community theater. And so what happened was there was 20 people for 10 roles and doing the math, you know, it's pretty easy that, you know, I didn't have any acting experience and it's like, eh, this ain't going well. And so during like, they brought us in for a couple hours for readings, just the group. And they said at about an hour into it, they go, okay, if you want, you can try out for this holiday. Uh, play excuse me and it's like i'll give it a try and so i told him uh you know can i try out for the holiday play and they said yeah sure so i tried out for the holiday play and it was an original script and i nailed it they gave me the role of the show's mc oh and my character's name was called you're gonna love this holly days holly days yep Holidays. Well, listen, I'm sure um, you're all going to meet my twin sister, Holidays. You can come on for the holidays. I'm kidding. 
that's adorable. So would you say you're pretty happy right now with, uh, with what, you know, where your life's at? Yes. Uh, the, I remember before I transitioned, how miserable I was, how depressed I was. And when I said, you know what, I had enough and started to transition, uh, started to live my life, started to uh, dress as a woman, started to live as a woman, myself, concept, myself, worth, uh, just my mental health and has just gotten better. Oh, I love to hear that so much. So let's do, let's all take a moment and envision a thought cloud forming and then us just fading to 1982. What okay. is Cynthia Grace? What are you seeing in the world? How do you feel? What's going on? How do you think the future is going to be? And then take us back to now and, and, and just, the journey of 40 years to get to here, to be happy in this moment and freeing yourself. Take us back to that time being youth. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's, I know this is going to be a, uh, how can we say this a long trip back, but let's go back to the eighties. So anyways, it was, you know, a different time, a different era. And basically you were had, if, especially in this region, men had to, basically embodyalize the kind of John Wayne uh, stereotype, you know, that manly man, uh, basically no feminine qualities. And if you didn't fit that stereotype, you would have been made fun of, you would have had been beaten up and you, you had to learn to conform to that kind of mold growing up, especially in this area. Hmm. So here I am doing whatever I can to try to blend in, you know, try to fit the mold, not let people know who I am. Otherwise, you know, I have fear of uh, not only being uh, physically attacked, but possibly hurt uh, meant, um, as well as teased and bullied and a few other things. Tell us what it was like coming out, you know, in the in the Black Hills of South Dakota as a trans woman. What was that like? It's not easy. I'll tell you that right now. But I, I don't mind the looks. I don't mind the stares. And every now and then I'll get the traditional, you know, name calling. And what I tell these people is, look, I'm not mad that you're calling me these names. What angers me the most is they can't come up with new material. <laughs> All right. 22. Can you come up with something new? Please. Jeez, at least. Uh, uh, or to put it in their language, moo, 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 moo. See, new material. How hard is that? <laughs> now, you mentioned uh, in our previous conversations that you have a sibling. Yes, um, I have a younger sibling. Uh, and, and to be fair to her, I won't mention their name on the podcast. We'll just call them Sabrina. Having, yeah, okay, we'll call them Sabrina. But they are having you know, a hard time adjusting to me. And I'm pretty sure a lot of siblings have the same type because all their life, they, they think of their sibling as this person. Uh, we'll just call it person X. They see them as person X. They know them as person X. And all of a sudden, when that person says to their, their family, look, this is not, I'm not person X. I'm actually this person over here. In a way, it is like experiencing a death of a sibling because it's not a physical death, but it's still, 
They're mourning the loss of the image or the thought of who they thought they were. And in my sister's case, it's taken her a little bit of time. She is getting better to embracing the person that is before her and still loves her to this day. Tell us a little bit about, you know, because I know that you're a little older in age and that your 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 coming out didn't happen until later in life. Can you tell me a little more about that and that experience for oh, you? It, it was just, you know, like I said, living in this era, you had to uh, fit that conformity of the John Wayne stereotype. Uh, it's just a simple generic term. Mm-hmm. But one day I just had enough. It just it was kind of like a just you know repress 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 and all of a sudden the top just blew i couldn't deal with it anymore what was that lead up like can you tell me like how did you feel in that moment when you were sitting there and you were like shit I, i broke i was emotional i was crying so what was it like in that moment when you realized who you were and that your life was about to like literally change for the better well, it was, it's scary. I won't lie because you, you take in everything, what could be, what should be, and what will be, uh, what will not be. For me, it was taking in all these emotions and all these things and just sitting down and going through them one at a time and just mm-hmm. coming to the realization that I'm doing myself more harm by living this facade than I would be if I lived my life, you know, genuine and authentic. So, at, so what? At what age did you come to terms with this? With this? Um, with this? Finally, uh, let me see. When it finally blew was around thirty three, thirty four years old. So when I would ever put on like a dress or something, I would feel like this is who I am. This is what I am. Uh, you know sneaking you know uh clothes into the house you know having my own little stash having uh trying to find makeup that would work and trying to find clothes that would fit shoes that would fit so this way i could look in the mirror and you know the image that would be reflected back would make me actually feel like i was actually normal normal we hear that a lot in the we always hear everyone say oh being normal is 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 you know you want to be unique and different it's like well yeah disney channel thank you i love that message but like apparently being me can get me killed or you know if i make a mistake and aren't able to fulfill an obligation then my life gets threatened and my parents get threatened because of who i am like it's cool to be different, but like, you don't like, I don't think people understand when, when train, when a trans person says to you, I just want to feel normal. Don't come back and be like, Oh, it's so you have to being unique. It's just like, no, honey, this being normal for us is being able to wake up and not wanting to die. The second you open your eyes and realize that you're in this miserable hellhole, and or, that uh, or like going to, or go walking into a store. Mm-hmm. And just being treated as a person, go to a restaurant and not get the disgusting looks, uh, just being treated like every other person walking into any business and saying, having them come up saying, hello, uh, how can we help you? What are you looking for? You know, you know, it's like, say, if I was looking for a new dress, uh, they would say, well, OK, look, uh, we got some new dresses in. Uh, are you looking for something casual, special occasion, business? Right. 
sentence. And I just wanted to know from your perspective, what are the challenges as somebody, you know, in their late thirties, forties, um, what was it like transitioning so late in life with, with a body? So in, in so far into the masculine, what was, what was that like? Well, first of all, uh, you have to buy cl- new clothing. And that right there is probably one of the uh, first steps is to actually know your dress sizes, uh, know your skirt size, pant size, uh, shirt size. You have to relearn all these things. You have to go buy new clothing to match your new uh, identity. When it comes to with the uh, documents, I just recently, uh, I can testify to this. It's, it, it's, it's painful. It's like a woman getting married and she has to turn all her documents over to her new married name. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing. I had to go down to the DMV. I had to take my, you know, all my titles, new name, voter registration, new name, everything that had my old name, I had to get it in my new name. What was it like anatomically for your body to be so far uh, masculine to go through second puberty again? Oh my God. Uh, the, the hormones it's, it's been a wild ride. Uh, it, it's just imagine if you, you can't control your emotions. Cause I'll give you an example. One day I was watching the Hallmark channel and here I am just balling up emotional. It's one of those no touching scenes where they're in love and all that. And then like the next moment, it's like someone flipping a light switch and all of a sudden I want to burn the world down. It's like, you know what, God, I'm angry. You had your chance. It's my turn. We're going to end this. <laughs> and I'm watching the Hallmark channel. I'm not, you know, I'm, I remember emotions. Like I said, normally my emotions would be in check, but on, on certain days it's, it's all over the place. It's like, dialing through a radio station and you just keep letting it scan and you're trying to find the one station that you can, you know, put yourself on at least to get some form of stability. So I wanted to ask you growing up in the eighties, what was it like dealing with uh, homophobia and HIV? You had a president that even refused to say the word AIDS or HIV. So as a, well, what was it like? What was it like, Cynthia? It was terrible because here we have the president at that time. It's like pretending the boogeyman is not at the door. If you pre- And their philosophy was, if we didn't think it existed, we can just will it away. But unfortunately, it didn't, they didn't address the issue. They just pretend like it didn't happen or it's not our problem until it became their problem. So homophobia and HIV, homophobia stops many lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, and intersex people from accessing HIV and sexual health services. It can also lead to mental health issues and social isolation, which can increase the risks of LGBTQI plus people uh, take with their health. Addressing homophobia needs to needs a twofold approach, tackling homophobia laws like the criminalization of safe sex activity and changing the way individuals and societies treat uh, LGBTQI plus people. So what is homophobia? Homophobia is the fear, hatred, mistreat, mistrust, or discomfort with LGBTQI plus people. So we can kind of put that in with the same with transphobia, but obviously transphobia is for 
you know, gender identity purpose. So uh, it is expressed through negative comments, rejection from friends and family, bullying, violence, discrimination, and negative media representations. And some LGBTQ plus people can internalize homophobia attitudes, which is called self-stigma. It is not only individuals who can be homophobic, governments and institutions can be too. 29 states, for example. And so what links HIV and homophobia? Well, blame and stigma. The HIV epidemic has always been linked with negative attitudes towards the LGBTQI plus community, especially gay men and other men who have had sex with men. In many countries, gay men suffered violence and abuse when the HIV epidemic began. Homophobia reporting in the media fueled their unfair view that gay people were to blame for HIV, restrictions on access to health. And so beyond that, Really, the big question is, what can we do to tackle transphobia and homophobia? Well, evidence gathering. There's also a need for more data to show decision makers the realities that the LGBTI people face in relation to HIV and sexually transmitted diseases or infections, changing the way LGBTI people are treated. Public campaigns led by LGBTQI plus people to challenge homophobia and transphobic attitudes can reach large numbers of people. For example, gay pride events celebrating the community. And there have been many successful anti-homophobia campaigns carried out in specific areas. And we can all help to tackle homophobia by challenging it when it is seen and be that in our places of work or communities or even at home. Educating people about LGBTQI plus issues is key to overcoming prejudice. This can happen and this can happen. This can happen. This can happen. Or out in or out of school, for example. Yeah. So anyway. Oh, it went out of order. Silly me. Oh, well. So we can all uh, we can all help to tackle homophobia by challenging it when it is seen, be that in our place of work, our communities or even at home education. And that's why we do this here today. We sit together and we converse and we talk and we raise awareness of the injustices that we as a community face specifically right now, the trans and LGBTQ plus community. Pause. Lovely. Great. Ah, that was good. Cynthia, what would you think? I thought that, yeah, that's a lot. If we go back to the HIV, uh, back then, the politicians used that to demonize the LGBTQ community. That was their way of demonizing it. They, this disease, like I said, uh, they didn't do anything until it started affecting, you know, their people. When it started okay. affecting their people, then they started to do something about it. Okay, say that one more time. So we're going to refresh. I'm going to go back and see. That is the key. That's why we do what we do. Education. Yeah. Education, because it shows um, education is the thing. It shows people that in the end of the day, we are all the same, that the science has proven this. This that's the main thing. Science has proven that, you know, we're no different than any other person. We're not superhuman. We're not inferior. We're just like everybody else. Thank you, Cynthia. It's been a pleasure, okay? Till next to the next podcast. Till next time. Bye. Hey, bye. It's to treat everyone with the same equality and same respect that you yourself would want, regardless of their gender, regardless of their race, regardless of their religion, regardless of their sexual identity or their gender identity. I think we can all agree that we are human beings and we all deserve to be treated 
with a certain level of human dignity.